Hello, and welcome to the show. My name is Lizzie Barron, and this past November, I attended the Parkland Institute's fall conference entitled Doing Democracy Better, Challenging the Politics of Fear and Resentment, in order to share some of the talks with our Terran formal listeners. The Parkland Institute is a research center within the University of Alberta's Faculty of Arts, and via their about page, the Parkland Institute studies, quote, economic, social, cultural, and political issues facing Albertans and Canadians using the perspective of political economy, end quote. Such research generally connects to the following three themes, strengthening Alberta's democracy, envisioning Alberta's economic future, and investing in public services and strong communities. The November conference certainly grappled with such themes, with a particular emphasis on strengthening an inclusive democracy here in Alberta and beyond, despite multiple interacting crises such as the COVID-19 pandemic, far-right populism worldwide, and the climate crisis. So this week, and over the course of upcoming episodes, I will be bringing you a condensed version of a talk and or panel from the event. For further listening and viewing, I would absolutely recommend checking out the Parkland Institute's YouTube channel. The link is in the show notes of this episode. Today's episode features a talk given by Anna Guerra Marin, who is the Communities Director and Just Transition Lead at the organization Iron and Earth. The talk was given on November 20th, 2022. Iron and Earth is an organization led by workers with a mission to, quote, to empower fossil fuel industry and indigenous workers to build and implement climate solutions, end quote. We've linked the Iron and Earth website in the show notes of this episode so you can read more about their work. The session Anna's talk was a part of was entitled Jobs and Transitions. Last week's episode of Terra Informa featured Ian Hussey's talk in this session, so be sure to check that out in your podcast feed. Today, you'll hear Anna Guerra Marine's talk, Navigating Polarization and Fear While Building Just Transitions from the Ground Up. From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. You're listening, you're listening. You're listening. You're listening. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this episode was recorded in Treaty 6 territory in a Miskwetsiwiskaigan, Beaver Hills House, or so-called Edmonton. We are broadcasting from unrecognized Papa's Chase Cree territory. The Papa's Chase Cree were displaced following consistent efforts from local officials like Frank Oliver to discredit the legitimacy of their treaty right to this territory and to reserve number 136, now South Edmonton. This show was produced in Treaty 7 territory, the traditional territories of the Nitsipi from the Blackfoot Confederacy, including the Sigsika, Bigani, and Gainai Nations, the IRA Nakota of the Chiniki, Bearspaw, and Wesley Nations, and the Dene of the Tsutsina Nation. Southern Alberta is also home to the Métis Nation of Alberta Region 3. At the confluence of the Bow and Elbow Rivers, this site was called Mukinsis by the Blackfoot and is more recently called the City of Calgary. Not confined to history, these regions are also the present homelands of many First Peoples who build their lives here, pursue livelihoods, and gather together, including Cree, Métis, Blackfoot, and Dene. Wherever you're listening from, we ask you to consider whose version of history informs your understanding of the land you are on. A disclaimer before we begin. This audio was taped using a field recorder in a large lecture theater, so the audio quality is not ideal, so for that we apologize. We hope you enjoyed the talk nonetheless. 
Without further ado, here is Ana Guerra Marin at the Parkland Institute's 2022 Fall Conference. Uh, Ana Guerra Marin uh, uh, started, uh, oh sorry, uh, she's a, a, a Communities Director and Just Transition Lead at Iron Earth. She started her career in Colombia, listening to and empowering oil, gas, and mining workers at various work sites through forming partnerships and understanding worker issues. As Anna delved into the extractive industries, she became more aware of how important it is to address the environmental and socioeconomic impacts she was witnessing and how urgent it is to create long-lasting solutions rooted in community-based initiatives that focus on the most vulnerable persons. This started a 15-year career uh, focused on helping communities achieve self-determination through social and environmental justice in Latin America and Canada. As a white, cisgender immigrant woman with invisible disabilities, Anna recognizes her position in the world and challenges societal ideas by creating transformative change through a praxis informed by intersectionality and black feminism, womanism, critical race theory, indigenous people's knowledge, decolonization, and critical consciousness. Hello, everybody, and thank you to the Parkland Conference. I have to just get my notes. Thank you to the Parkland Conference for having me here. It's a real pleasure. I want to talk a little bit um, about what happens when, you know, we were at a talk today with Emma, and then yesterday with Hillary uh, and Riley. And we were talking about a lot of the questions that were coming from the audience were like, what can I do? So what can I do to do this anti-racist work? What can I do with, to do this indigenous, putting indigenous peoples first into our processes? So I want to talk to you about the work that I've been doing at Arnold, and it's based on that work. And so I'm going to talk a little bit about myself again. Thank you for the introduction uh, to explain how do I get here. So who am I? So my name is Ana Guerra Marin. I go by she, her. I'm originally from Colombia, and I am a guest in the lands of the Lekwungen and Swetson people, so-called Victoria, British Columbia. I would also like to acknowledge that I am currently in Treaty 6 territory in Métis Region 4, in what is known as, I hope I'm not going to butcher it, no, can't say it, sorry, in an I apologize, too nervous to say it. And it's the home of many, many indigenous people. So I have a work experience and a lived experience that influenced the practice that I do. I was a geological engineer for 10 years in the extractive industry. I have a master's in human security and peacebuilding, which is basically human rights and post-conflict resolution. And then after that, I spent the last 10 years working in, sex in social justice issues, specifically sexualized violence and immigrant rights. And I've been with Iron and Earth as the community director and just transition lead for over a year. But I also have a lived experience, and my positionality helps me identify and see how I work in this world. As it was indicated, I'm white, cisgender, bi, migrant woman with invisible disabilities, and thanks to a lot of theory and great people, I have learned and learned a lot of things, and it's based in black feminism, womanism, intersectionality, critical race theory, decolonization, etc. And uh, because of my positionality, I've done a lot of self-advocacy and navigated a lot of different uh, institutions that base the practice that I work with and the way I see the world. 
And it's this conjunction of both lived and worked experience that influenced the community proposal and model that we can talk that we're going to talk about today. So a little bit of Iron Earth. So Iron Earth started uh, when Ian was mentioning um, in the downfall of like 2014-2015 in the oil and gas uh, sector, and it was formed by fossil fuel industry workers at the time and focused to provide solution in the climate career as the jobs were disappearing in this industry. Since last year, our organization has gone through a big transformation that has led to expanding our vision and also diversified our board of directors and our staff. And with this in mind, what we do now is that we aim to empower fossil fuel industry workers, their communities, and indigenous peoples across nations and urban centers to play a leading role in building the infrastructure and the policy required to transition to a low carbon economy. <clears throat> so now I'm going to talk about our approach. So our community approach is, once, is focused on developing relationships that go beyond a consultation model. It meets folks where they're at, something that we heard a little bit of Emma's talk earlier, to understand their ideas on climate change, the transition, and income security, potential solutions, and their level of preparedness on any of those issues. Our, our approach is agency-centered and consent-based, which means that it's based on socially just models that aim to meet folks where they're at and build trust that is between us as Iron Earth and the communities, and with care and emphasis on those most vulnerable. We center experiential knowledge as a learning sort of methodology, which recognizes lived experience as knowledge and expertise. We also work from a desire-based framework where we highlight and amplify what communities are already doing best and their responses to potential solutions. And we focus on collective processes in order to, in a way, to challenge the individualism that we experience in this land today. We have an indigenous peoples approach. This community approach recognizes that indigenous peoples across nations and urban centers are diverse and understands that we need to build long-lasting relationships built on trust that may not fit proposed timelines. Our approach discards the idea of presupposed plans that particularly, per particularly perpetuate, too many piece, paternalistic approaches to in colonial behaviors and welcomes the stewardship of indigenous peoples and their knowledge. So, how do these community sessions look like? So our sessions are rooted in care and active listening, moving away from imposed narrative that can lead to disengagement and powerlessness. We want to generate ideas from the community by the community, and with this, what it means is that we may replicate this approach across this land, but we center localities, geographies, and cultures, and costumes when we develop the session in the script. We plan for a minimum of three sessions per community, with following sessions based on the findings on the previous one, and the number accounts for potential differential outreach results, our indigenous people's approach, and to move beyond that idea of consultation. So what does that look like? The format of these conversations is really up to the people, as we recognize that any community, that each community has their own idiosyncrasies, idiosyncrasies, 
Thank you. Idiosyncrasy. Uh, and have different styles and capacities. And what works with, with that community may not work for us. At the most basic, the conversations are about getting a group of people, ideally 35, so we can actually hear from everybody, to discuss and the questions that will be provided and record the answers. It's very simple. It starts, the standard format, uh, format assumes a two-hour session with an introduction, the breakout groups where we discuss the questions, and a closing event. So who facilitates? Since the session's goal is to be for the community, by the community, local residents are the key facilitators in these sessions. The recessions require one main facilitator and two for breakout session, and we try to provide all necessary support for those facilitators, community facilitators, including training, materials, and a contract position. And who attends? So we want to hear from everybody, but specifically for those from those who are often left out of mainstream narratives, those racialized, youth, elders, housing insecure, unemployed, different genders, migrants with diverse sexualities and diverse levels of ability. Those who face barriers to participation in the political and public decision-making processes, and those whose interests are often overlooked. At the same time, we want to hear from those at the front line of the climate change. We want to ensure that all potential barriers to participation are removed as possible. So we are offering competitive reimbursement, childcare and transportation stipends, a full meal, sorry, and we also uh, office supplies. So we also recognize for different abilities in neurodivergency. So some people do not want to talk; they just can write. That's totally fine. And we also ask for individual accessibility needs that we also welcome as well. And what happens after? Still work in progress. So our goal is that by the end of the sessions, residents are the ones who are making decisions of what kind of climate solutions they want in the community, an agency center approach. This relationship's built and the information collected during the sessions will help tailoring the programming that Iron Earth can do in the community, as well as potential partners. Our findings are also gathered in reports that highlight the residents' concerns and initiatives that the community wants to take and implement and to do a more equitable energy transition. And these are shared with the participants, our key stakeholders that we do with our reach, and policy makers and key decision makers as well. The report cells serve as the basis of continuing our work. So this is kind of like a trial and error process in which we keep refining the method. And also includes the scripts and everything we do so that it can be replicable and anybody can read it and share. So this has been tested <laughs> and under the Green Resilience Project in Hinton, Alberta at our first session, which happened in January of this year. Our second session just happened in November, and it was now our first session at Iron and Earth outside of the Green Resilience Project. And the, resource, the results from the sessions actually affirmed our model of care, where participants were pleasantly surprised on welcoming the approach. The facilitator observations and feedback that we received was generated really positive experience, highlighting a communal, agreeable session. Participants felt engaged and comfortable and sharing their opinions even though they might have been apprehensive at the beginning. 
The language used in the sessions was carefully crafted so that the audience could use terminology they could relate to and not feel pressured by imposed narratives. This resulted in participants organically bringing up several progressive ideas, such as basic income and actually, <coughs> sorry, long COVID. <coughs> Again, my throat. Um, and actually, they were able to identify the polarization in media and the politicians that they see. So what they, what we would see in the media, and here we've been talking about the mix, the realities. The community in Hinton was able to say, yeah, we see that too. So that was very good. And we shared feedback forms at the end of the session showing that show high levels of satisfaction. Few participants were not familiar on the topics we discussed, but the majority, over 70% uh, of them, learned something new about the topics. And they expressed interest, and like they all expressed interest, 100% of all the feedback forms in both of the sessions expressed interest in continuing the conversation and also expressed interest in having like being part of potential projects related to this. So we did a thematic analysis in Hinton for our first session, and what the people in Hinton are asking or saying is they want diversification. I don't know if you know a little bit, but in rural Alberta, diversification is the way people are talking about, it, about energy transition. So it's more about, let's not shut down oil and gas, let's just diversify our and they came up with that name. They said, we want diversification. The solutions need to be comprehensive and support both social and cultural, that was very important, aspects for economic transitions to be robust and inclusive. They want to be involved throughout the decision-making process and have transparency regarding directionality and decisions. And they need climate literacy. They ask for it. Clear and factual information in a positive manner that moves beyond polarization. <coughs> so, where we are at. This is an ongoing process for us and will be occurring around the country with Edmonton as our next community. We will be hosting a series of three sessions in three different wards here in Edmonton and we will start with a daemon as our first stop at the beginning of the year. So in mid January, hopefully. So if you live in a daemon, please, or if you're interested in knowing more about it, uh, please feel free, please, please feel free to reach out to me. I will share my contact information very quickly uh, because we want to hear from you. We also be having our third and final session in Hinton in the beginning of the year, and we'll be working on sessions in Saskatoon, Regina, and Saskatchewan, and four different communities in Newfoundland. So, this is my contact info. I'm sorry I was so nervous. This is like the first time I'm doing like a real out of Zoom thing in like years, so it's like it's very bad. But thank you for your attention and have a great day. that you've heard the great insights Anna offered in her talk, we're going to hear one of the questions from the question and answer period posed to both speakers, Ian from last week's episode and Anna from this week's episode. We're only sharing one of the questions and the corresponding answers the speakers shared to the question from the audience, but to hear the whole question and answer period after this talk, check out the Parkland Institute's YouTube channel linked in the show notes below. Uh, last year, a friend of mine made um, $9,000 on a stock called pyrogenesis, and it's a plasma that's supposed to clean the ocean. 
And we all know that um, money is where everybody's at right now anyways, maybe not in the future. Have you heard of anything that is the same thing that's being developed for the atmosphere? Do you know if there's anything out there like that? And if there is, is it a possibility to have more green stocks that people can um, invest in to sort of start that movement, make a difference? Yeah, trees. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My answer is very much please stop investing Change, but that, yeah, I, I agree, but people do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're, it's, it's an important question, Charlene, and it's an important question for a number of reasons. Um, the simple answer is uh, we should not rely on technologies to pull greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere. That's a very dangerous road to go down. Um, and on a technological development level, like direct, direct air capture, it's, the technology is not there yet. Um, and even with carbon capture, utilization, and storage, um, the technology has been demonstrated, but not proven at the scale that you know the big oil companies would like it to be. And so when they say like, oh yeah, you know we're going to invest, we're going to we're going to totally reduce our greenhouse gases by a lot, um, and mostly do that from carbon capture. That's a hope for them. That's not a guarantee that that's going to happen. You know, um, obviously we can. Uh, a big part of of, of Canada's um, environmental plan and around the world is we got to plant more trees. But the reality is most of climate change is caused by the burning of oil and gas. So we need to burn less oil and gas, um, and we have the ability to do that. Right? We have. The, technology, uh, the, the technological solutions, we know how to do it. We have a very skilled workforce in Alberta, you know, many of whom are unemployed. We have like the, the people, and we will need more than the people we have, but we have a lot of them already, right? And so the question is, are we uh, directing those people and some of that investment in, in the correct way, right? Into renewable energy, into uh, a big part of like elect electrifying the economy, is energy storage, and I sort of like you know went over this really quickly in my in my presentation um, because I was speaking quite a long time. But again, we have the ability to do that. We we uh, anyone from the Alberta Energy well, sorry the International Energy Agency, the Alberta Federation of Labor, uh, the biggest banks in Canada, you know they're all saying similar things around that. Um, we need interties between uh, provincial electricity grid. The way electricity works in Alberta is mostly it's a provincial thing, and we don't have like transmission lines into BC or Saskatchewan or whatever. Uh, we, we need those. Like BC has a lot of hydroelectricity, that's a clean energy, and we need that electricity or some of it to back up our booming wind and solar uh, electricity. Because you know, wind and solar is intermittent. It, you know, the wind blows and it blows, and the solar, the sun shines when it shines, whatever. So that one way to have energy storage is actually through hydro dam uh, reservoirs. Another one is just like really big batteries. Uh, a third one is hydrogen. So I, I mentioned like we, we have a hydrogen industry, we've had it for years, it's used in processing oil and gas in, in refineries. Um, that is a thing called gray hydrogen, which is just, um, made from natural gas, but it doesn't have carbon capture. 
And so I mentioned, like, in the future, uh, when electrolysizers in, in a few years are a bit more affordable, the technology is a bit more advanced, we can produce clean green hydrogen. And if you produce that when the wind is blowing, the sun is shining, you can actually then store that hydrogen for use in the future for electricity when you need it in the future. So that's another form of, of energy storage. That's getting really important. We have competitive advantages in Alberta because of our um, great wind and solar resources. So, like, we can do all these things, right? It's going to take a bunch of investment, and quite a bit of that's going to come from the private sector, and so government has a role in incentivizing that investment and steering the market in certain ways. But, you know, like the AFL is saying, and I, I agree with this, there is a role for direct investment by our government, uh, provincially and federally, and even municipally, in directly investing in these things that we all know, um, I hope we all know now that we do. Yeah. Well, I guess I, I thought of that, sorry, just I would just say, like, I'm more, because what Ian is saying, it is like that reliance to technology, for me, it's like he mentioned, it's a double-edged sword. So I wouldn't want to uh, put that kind of spec in the future, especially on a place like the stock market, which is such a bet anyway. So for me, I think the, the, the best that someone can do now is at least make sure that their stock portfolio is not, like, you know, it's really not it's ethical in a way. I'm not going to talk about big watching, but like, you know, if you have, like, if you have stock on RBC, or like, you know, all those kind of very simple stuff that you can do, because what, I don't know if you noticed, but major corporations such as BP, um, BHP, sorry, BHP, like they actually divested from oil and gas completely in 2021. We'll see how that looks like. But they said, okay, our shareholders are saying that we don't want that, and so they moved away. Obviously, the production is not going to stop because it's being handled by an Australian company now. But like, it is the shareholders do have power, and actually, have the only ones who do have power. Uh, to change corporations into a more ethical consumption. So I would say instead of relying on clean energies or new technologies to invent, it will be to like actually if you have acquisitive power, I don't know anything about that, but if you do have acquisitive power to demand to your companies and stuff like that. I think it's one of the only green stocks actually. And I don't even know if it's really as green as they say. It's <laughs> supposedly clean the ocean plasma, but... Yeah. Well, what I I do know a little bit about that, but I it's uh but yeah it's just like those and and I think that what what you see here and you know the AFL showing it and and uh it goes back to all of these questions is that there's a push of innovation. We have to innovate, right? We have to do this thing. And I'm like, how about we we there's already a lot of green economies right now that are in need of funding. So how about we focus on that? I mean, it's important to innovate, it's important to have the technology, but I would love for, you know, uh, he mentioned there's a surplus. How about we pay better wages to the healthcare people? Pay better wages to the education people. And I'm not trying to be like, serious because we do need innovation. And, and again, if you remember right said, I'm a geological engineer. I was there when carbon capture storage first came out in, 20, in 2008. I was, we were doing studies, but it's just, I see this and I'm like, there, technology is great, but as we see right now, life 
right now how Twitter's demise is happening, we can rely on it because there is no labor protections around it. There is no government accountability, outability. So I'm very concerned about innovation. I love that, you know, I'm hoping our future is green and stuff like that, but let's focus on what we have now and and if we have a quick power and do and we, we share stuff is that our stuff are ethical. That's all the time we have for this week. I've been your host, Lizzie Barron. Thank you for listening. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, and all of our content is created by a team of volunteers. If you're interested in joining the team as a volunteer, please email us at terra at cjsr.com. Thank you so much to the Parkland Institute for the Media Past and for putting on the informative conference. And thank you so much to Ana Guerra Marine for all the insights she shared in the talk you heard today, as well as Ian Hussey in the talk you heard last week and in the Q&A in this episode. This episode was produced by me, Lizzie Barron. You can reach us for comments or questions via email at tara at cjsr.com or message us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Tara Informa. For previous episodes, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. Catch you next week, right here on Terra Informa. Terra Informa.